Okay, this morning I'm going to read from John again, the 10th chapter. We're just going to continue from yesterday. And uh, in John, the 10th chapter, I'll just read it through again. In verse 1 it says, Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but comes up some other way, climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the sheep, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the porter opens. We said yesterday here now, again, this word porter, we can think of of it this way, that Jesus Christ is the door. He's the only entrance into the presence of God. This is brought out in Matthew 11, verse 27, and in John 6, verse 45, uh, 44 and 65, I should say, in, in John the sixth chapter, and he is he's the door. That door again is brought out, and even in Hosea uh, chapter two, I believe it's verse 15. If not, it's somewhere in there. He's the door. He's the only entrance uh, into the presence of God, and that's a very beautiful uh, portion. Now, but the porter is one who opens the door. And that's the Holy Spirit who takes the things of Christ in John the 16th chapter in the 13th and 14th verse. And then he shows them, declares them, manifests the revelation that never changes but that we grow in, the truth about who Christ is. Thus, we can see in him that we do have a father in John the 20th chapter in the 17th verse. So to him, the porter opens and the sheep, once it's the Holy Spirit, who opens the door, then the sheep actually do hear his voice. And and it's his voice, and what does he do? He calls his own sheep by name. This was brought out again in Revelation 2 and verse 17, where we have this new name, this new name based upon this new nature and image that Christ has given to each of us individually, that no one will know the depth of that intimate fellowship, but that particular one with Christ. And so that's the porter. And then it says, and he calls his own sheep by name. In other words, he only refers to us by this new nature, period. And it's that God's full thought of us. And God's full thought of us in John 1 and verse 1 is the Word, and the Word is Christ himself. And so when we see this, when he begins to call us by name, our new nature, our new character, who we are, and character in 1 John 1, 7, then he leads them out. So he's always leading us out of where we don't belong, out of a place that we've been placed in experientially because we could never leave the position of who we are in Christ, the wicked one, even in 1 John 5, 18, the B, he cannot touch us there. And so, and when he, in verse 4 of John 10, when he puts forth his own sheep, and that's who he puts forth, those that are his owned, he's owned them, he's bought them, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, as was shared yesterday, that we are, and that's what makes the porter opens because the porter opens to each of us the truth about who Christ is in us and who we are in him. And the porter is, again, that Holy Spirit, that spirit that is was a promise 
in John 14, 16. That would be ours in verse 17. And it has been made ours in Christ. And that Holy Spirit seals us in Ephesians 1 and verse 13. Seals us is the down payment, the earnest in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 22. And in, in the most, in, in the height of the Christian's position in Christ, that sealing brings out the reality of who we are in our experience. In the height of the Christian's position, which is brought out in the epistle of Ephesians, in Ephesians 1 and verse 13. Brings it out very, very clearly there. And so when he does that, the Holy Spirit, because our human spirit now has been has been enlivened so that we live by that spirit. We worship in it in John 4, 23 and 24. We have that, that spirit, the Holy Spirit, that revives us in our spirit. And we can see that in Romans 8, 15. And we see it again in Galatians 4 and verse 6 and 7. And this is brought out very, very beautifully through these through the preponderance of all these scriptures. So that what? So that what? And he, he puts forth his own sheep, but he puts them forth because he's gone before them. He's gone before us. What does that mean? It means he's gone before us in the full thought of God, each of us. That full thought about Christ towards each of us it goes into a plan in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. <clears throat> that plan is the full thought of God for each of us individually. To work out in our experience the awesome height of our position in Christ. And so he goes before them. Everything. And then Christ came and walked the face of the earth. And everything about what he, who he was and who he is and what he accomplished had to do with each of us individually. Of course, first and foremost, it had to do with propitiating the Father. First and foremost, in Genesis 22 and verse 8. Then becoming our substitute. Thereby, we are reconciled. That's positional truth. We are reconciled. Now, that's to enter into our experience. And the only way that can happen is through the full thought of God, which is Christ the Word. And he spells it out. And that's what the gospel means. The only gospel in Galatians 1, 6-9. So when he, he goes before them, and because we can trust that he has, he's gone before us in everything. And because he does that, and we, he has done that, then the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. You remember in the garden, even when Mary was weeping, when, they, when she forgot, when Christ told her, that he was the resurrection and the life and that he would rise from the dead. And when she forgot that, and it's easy to forget God and forget these truths. And so she was looking for him in a dead place. She was looking for him there. And of course he had been risen in Matthew 28, one to six, but she met him in John the 20th chapter. And you can see there in, in verse 15 and 16, she's, she, she's looking for him. And she sees him, but she doesn't recognize him because she's overwhelmed. She's scattered in her mind. She's scattered in her mind. She doesn't have proper thinking. And so she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. She's asking, where did you or where have they put my Lord? She was looking for his dead body. 
and it was when she when when the lord jesus christ risen said her name spoke her name voiced her name she recognized him and that's what that's bringing out here they they the sheep follow him for they know his voice in contrast as we said yesterday as we were all taught in first corinthians 14 6 to 11 many voices those many voices in contrast to and in opposition to the one voice of our lord and savior jesus christ our shepherd ecclesiastes 12 verse 11 there's one shepherd and he is manifests himself through under shepherds yes that are attached to him as we said in ephesians 4 8 and then they function in the gift that gift because the gift doesn't function without the giver never does that he'll never have right thoughts even there in ephesians 4 11 the evangelists and pastors and teachers will never have right thoughts unless they're submitted to him neither will we we won't have them. And so the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And as a result of that, a stranger's voice, they will not follow. Now, I don't have to know everything about the enemy and in the plethora of different ways that he tries to trip us up, trip us up with bad teaching. I mean, it's important for those that are pastors and teachers, I believe, to know these specific areas in the time periods when the enemy brings them out Yes, we need to know those things. But the truth is, when I know who Christ is, and when I trust his full thought, then I'll know a stranger's voice. And the stranger, will they not follow? Now, how do we follow a stranger's voice? Through being scattered. That's how we do. We follow a stranger's voice. What is the stranger's voice to those that are Christ, that those that he owns? Fear, doubt, worry. Suspicion, irritation, all of these things. That's the voice of the stranger, and we can know it very clearly. But a stranger, will they not follow? Why? Because Christ is their leader, and we see that again brought out beautifully in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 3. We're to lay aside, what? We're to look, look away, look away. We're to lay aside first, now think of, think of how this works. In Hebrews 12, 1, we're to lay aside every what? Okay, so what is the weight then in context, in context with what we're saying? The weight is doubt. The weight is fear. The weight is insecurity. That's a weight. Those are weights that we just can't, we can't, we can't do anything about them. Of course, the fact is Christ has already done everything about them. That's why it says even in Romans 14 and verse 22, and he that doubts is uh, in 22, 22 it says, what, what? Happy is the man that condemns not himself. <laughs> now, even when we don't think God's thoughts, we think the enemy's thoughts, and he convinces us that, th that there are thoughts. We just get scattered. Is, does God even condemn me because I'm his? No. Happy is the man that condemns not himself and the things that he allows. What are the things that we allow in our mind? Thoughts that aren't Christ, that aren't the word. And we allow them in. 
And it, does he still love us? <laughs> is he still gracious? Is he still truth? Can he be anything other than who he is? So he that doubts is, in, in Romans fourteen twenty two. happy is the man that condemns not himself and that thing that he allows. How do we allow them? Verse 23, and he that doubts. What is the doubt based upon? The scattering of a thought life that brings in fear. And we know what fear is. We've been taught and we need to know it again in this context. And we, we can see it in 1 John 4 and verse 18. There's, there's, there's no fear in love because fear has what? Torment, torture. The enemy wants to torture us through doubt, through fear, through worry, through irritation, through suspicion. And, and these become these weights and we can't bear them. That's why we're to lay aside every weight because if we don't, what do we do? We try, the enemy wants us to get involved with those things. And those are the things that trip us up from following him. Those are the distractions in Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Look away from all that would distract unto who? Unto Jesus. And in this context, it's understanding his voice that is manifested and revealed through his word. And that's why we're to depend upon it and not make the details of life to be the thing that takes precedent in our, precedence in our thinking. In Deuteronomy 8.3, and God has a plan to humble us and to teach us continuously that we don't live by bread alone, the details of life. Because those are the things the enemy can use to scatter us. Doubt, fear, worry. And so he has to humble us and teach us that we don't live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what, that's what we're to follow. That's our, to be our full thought life. And so that's brought out, and that's what Jesus was, was in his battle, showing us how he battled the enemy. When the enemy was offering him all these things, like he could. Of course not. Of course not. God can't be tempted with evil. Now listen to this for all of us in James 1 and verse 13. God can't be tempted with evil, and neither can I when I submit to him. Really, neither can I. So he quoted the word. He quoted Jesus did to show us in Matthew 4, 4 and Luke 4, 4. Listen, now, man shall not live by bread alone, only but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's having a proper thought life so that we're not scattered. No wonder Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. That's Matthew 12, 30. That's Luke 11, verse 23. And we'll bring these out further, I believe, down the road if we don't have the time to do it today. But he that is not with me is what? It's against me. And he that gathers not does what? Scatters. If I'm scattered in my thinking, then what do I have to give to someone? He that is not with me is against me. And he that scatters, um, uh, he that gathers not with me. And what does it mean to be gathered? God, God, this is what he does with us on these mornings with the word. He's gathering us to his thoughts and giving us precise counsel, all of us. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. That's what he's doing. 
And so we see this here in the scriptures here. He said, a stranger in John 10 verse 5, a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. Because if we don't, then the enemy, what he uses and actuates in us and our flesh is all these lust patterns. And when it's not Christ, when Christ doesn't possess me, then the enemy will give these things and we think we possess them. They don't. They possess us and keep the lust patterns alive in us, in our experience instead of Christ. And we can see those lust patterns. They're brought out clearly in, in, in Matthew 15, 16 to 20, and in Mark uh, 7, verses uh, 13 to 14, right to verse 23. Those, those lust patterns that are brought out in Galatians 5, 19, 20, and 21. There are all these things that come out uh, through the flesh. Relive them all over again. <laughs> instead of a proper experience of Christ. So in other words, what, what, what God wants to teach us is, is that he pet possesses you in your thought life. He possesses you, or what you replace him with possesses you. Lust is always in competition with love, with God's love for us in our experience. Now listen, love is one us positionally. But now we're to grow in it. Otherwise, we're in, we, we get into some deep trouble. And so again, in a stranger's voice, they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. In other words, we're not to know ourselves after the flesh anymore. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16, because all things are new. Not, they're, not, they're, not, they're not becoming new. We already are new, and he's bringing them into our experience in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Based upon 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18, we go from glory to glory, a glorified image. And the enemy can't convince us that this is who we are anymore because it's not. It's not who we are. So this parable spoke Jesus unto them, but they didn't understand the things which, which he spoke unto them. Why? Because they were still trying to understand them in the natural. So in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, we know that the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness unto him. It's foolish to trust them when you don't see anything naturally. It's foolish. It doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. It's called nonsense, scattering. The enemy wants to scatter us in our thought life, cause us. And we're going to see what that is this morning. They don't know this, boys. But the enemy tries to convince us, get us to fail through these lusts, through these attachments, these things that he gives us to actuate the lust pattern. And then he so that he can condemn us and accuse us. Because if he can deceive me in Revelations 12, 9, if he can get me to live like the world as a Christian, then he's going to accuse me. You don't hear him accusing those that are, that are his. You only hear him accusing those that are Christ's. And so this is where we are here. Then said Jesus unto them again, truly, truly, I'm say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Did you ever see, and this is where we are in church history, in Revelations 3, 14 to 22, we are in the Laodicean age. 
where everything is the opposite of what Jesus was teaching us in Deuteronomy 8.3, in Matthew 4.4, in Luke 4.4, in Matthew the 6th chapter, verses 1 to 34. This is what he was teaching us. They had, they were rich. They thought they were rich based upon their material goods. The Laodicean church. Money. Money. Boy, where do we see this? Money. Everything, everything became them money. Can the enemy use money to actuate the lust patterns and to possess us in our experience? There's no question about it. No question about it. When that becomes the issue with us. Remember the rich young ruler? Why did he go away sad? Why did he go away sad? Because he had a lot of riches. That's why, that's why God had to take away everything from Job. He had to take it all away from Job, just like he has to do with us. So that once his eye sees it, once our eye sees him in all his glory, you see that in Isaiah the sixth chapter, but in finally Job, in Job 42 and verse 5, when he finally saw him for who he was and his love for him, then he was able to give him double back. But he didn't give it him to consume upon his lusts, but to glorify the Father for his blessing, for his family's blessing, and for the blessing of multitudes. Multitudes. So we can see here, he said, I'm the door. Now, if you see that in Revelations 3 and 14 to 22, you're going to see in 320, and many times this is used as a salvation verse. It's not. It's not. They're born again. They are the church. That, that means you're born again. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church. They're mine. <laughs> I will edify them by me, the foundation. That's what he was teaching them and teaching us this morning and using those scriptures to teach us too, by the way, in the preponderance of all the scriptures, both the Old Testament the Old Covenant and the New, teaching us multitude of things. Because in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all Scripture is, is God-breathed and inspired by God and is profitable for us. And when we profit in them individually, in 1 Timothy 4, 14, 15, 16, then we can be a prophet to others. And that's just love. Because without love, in 1 Corinthians 13, 2 and 3, where is our value? Where is our profit? God is our prophet. He's the true riches. He's given us his son. The height of the riches of God Almighty is his son in whom are, all, in whom are hid all the riches, true riches of, of knowledge and understanding in Colossians 2 and verse 3. He's the treasure in our vessel, true treasure in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. So you will see there in that Revelation's third chapter, 14 to 22, they were rich. They thought they were rich, but they were poor, blind, and naked as a result of those riches that were replacing him in their experience. That's why he was knocking on the door in 320. And that door is the will. That door is the will. And that door opens in to invite him in. But he stands and knocks. And oh my God. When he knocks through the counsel of his word, hopefully all of us, myself and all of us, open that door quickly. Submit that will quickly. Quickly.
because in John 12, uh, 35 and 36, a little while is the light with us. Walk while you have the light. Submit, lest darkness come upon you. Many, many habits are formed by the enemy, which we should have given up a long time ago. But still, God is waiting to be gracious in Isaiah 30 and verse 18 and 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. He's waiting to be gracious for us. But hopefully, we open the door. We open the door to him so that the true treasure can come in. And then when the true treasure comes in, we know how to handle all those other treasures that did possess us and not him. And the enemy does this through scattering. And so we can see this very clearly. He says in verse 8 of John 10, all that, that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. In other words, anything we ever put ahead of him in our whole life was only a result of the thief and the robber in John 10, 10a. That was Satan. Everything that ever came before him, anything that we ever put ahead of him, and it doesn't matter what it is, anything that ever did, it was as a result of the thief and a robber who giving us those things through a lie, through misuse to abuse us, even by giving us those things, was to do what? To steal us away from him, to kill us, our capacity, and to destroy us in our own thinking, to cause us to think it's destroyed and it's over. It's not. It's not. Micah 7, verse 8, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, when I fall. Thank God I will arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. Hopefully we submit our wills there. That's brought out beautifully in Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but, now but, finally through the precious word, no longer are we going to be scattered by a multitude of voices that tell us <laughs> lust can replace love, which it can't. It's never satisfied. Lust is insatiable. It's never satisfied. The only thing that satisfies us is God himself, love. And so we see that there. But the sheep separated from that did not hear them, not hear those voices, those lies, the enemy anymore. I am the door. Who was the door? Who was the door even back when Israel, all those multitude of Jews living in bondage to the enemy, Pharaoh, type of Satan, in the world system, Egypt, living in bondage for over 400 years, living in bondage, couldn't get out. They could not get out. And then the I am, the great I am, the door that would lead them out of captivity, out of the thoughts of the enemy, the slave master. Oh, the enemy with his scattering thoughts is such a slave master. He whips us and beats us with fear, with doubt, with worry, with irritation, with, with suspicion. He's a hard taskmaster. And so the great I am in response to the man that he rose up, Moses, after 80 years, 80 years of preparation to raise him up, to raise him up, 35 years in the Apostle Paul and Galatians 1.15 to raise him up. And so he raised him up 
and he heard in response to the two things that Moses had a question about, and this is us. This is us. And even what the enemy means for evil, in Genesis 50 and verse 20, God means for good. How? How is the good? And how, and how does he mean it? And this is how he means it. This is how he means it. The two questions that when God spoke to him uh, to raise him up out of his own thought life, out of the backside of the desert, and we need a backside, by the way. There's times when we need to be alone with God. That's right. Because all those truths that he's worked in us, now in the backside of the desert, he's going to work them out for us. But he's, not, he's going to do it for his own glory in Isaiah 42 and verse 8. In Galatians 6 and verse 14. But it's going to be for our blessing, but for a multitude of others. A multitude of others in, the pre in our preparation. Two questions he asked in the scattering of his own thinking, who am I? That's what he said when, who am I to go? Basically, basically what Moses was saying is, well, who am I? Tell me who I am. I'm so scattered in my thinking. All I've ever done is fail. <laughs> who am I? And then he said, okay, if I'm to go, who are you? Those are the two things. Who am I, God? And who are you? And the answer was, I am. That's the answer to both. In Exodus 3 and verse 14, I am. That's the answer to both. I am with you to never leave you nor forsake you. In Joshua 1, 5. I won't fail you. I will not fail you. Everything else will cause you to be disappointed and discouraged, but I will never fail you. In Hebrews 13, 5, I'll never leave you nor forsake you with a triple salutation. And he says here again, here, that's what he was saying to them. I am the door in John 10, verse 9. By me, if any man enter in, he will be delivered. Delivered from the scattering thoughts. I'll be delivered. And you will be delivered. And we'll all be delivered. And when we are, we'll have an intimate fellowship with his love. And his love, that love for us, will actuate our love for him, which will be our obedient, quick submission to return that love. In 1 John 4.10 and verse 19 of that same chapter. I am the door by me if any man enters in. Proper experience, you'll experience deliverance. And you'll go in and out freely. You'll go in for yourself, but you'll not just come out for yourself. You'll come out for so many others. You'll come out. And you'll find pasture and you'll be a little shepherd and you will be able to lead others because he's teaching you how to lead and he's going to teach you how to lead on the backside of the desert. And you need to be and I need to be alone with him for that to happen because he must increase in John 3.30, but I must decrease in all my strength. That's why in Psalm 102 and verse 23, he weakens our strength. The strength of the things that we think we need and rely upon that become our strength, but are nothing more than just possessions that possess us. He weakens our strength, and thank God, He shortens our days in that way. Shorter and shorter is the decrease. Greater and greater is the increase. That's what He was teaching the Apostle Paul. That's what He's teaching us through Him and everything He did with Him. The same way with Moses, but with us a, a more intimate and greater way in 2 Corinthians 12. We see that in that whole chapter, but specifically in those first 10 
uh, verses there. I am the door, if any man enter in, if, and that's the will being submitted, that's him knocking on the door in Revelation 3 and verse 20, will you let me in? Will you let me in? And you will see what I will do in a moment with all those scattering, lying, ac accusing voices that manifest themselves through a thought life and become thought projections. And those thought projections of the enemy in 2 Corinthians 10, for, four, verse 4 and 5 are those reasonings that, that hold you captive. And instantly, I will instantly set you free because you'll know the truth in John 8, verse 32. And the truth is the only thing the truth that Jesus is in 14.6 of John, the truth in 8.32 of John will set you free and you will be free. Your will will finally be free in mind when I am submitted to the one thought of God, Jesus Christ, the Son, and that takes the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see this again as we begin to tie this up and just wait on God for much more of this, which I believe that he will do even on Sunday. I, I just believe that. But in John 10, it says the thief comes not, but what? To steal through the scattering thoughts, to kill us and destroy us. Can he, can he, can he kill, can he steal, kill, and destroy my position in Christ? He can't. But what does he do to the experience? That's what he tries to do. But I have come. But I, I am come. How does he come? In our experience, we open the door. We submit our will. I am come that they might have life for themselves. They'll, if they let me in, then they can go into me because I'm the door. I'm the door to bring them into the very holy of holies. I when they let me in, I will go in and fill them with the life that they are in their proper image. And then they can go out and be a portion for others. But they can go in and out. Just think about that. And even the interruptions of sin in 1 John 1, 9 can be dealt with so that we can continue to go in and out. So that the enemy can't build up when we delay obedience because disobedience is delayed obedience, delayed obedience is disobedience. So and, and that's what he tries to do in us to cause a strong to cause us to be living in a stronghold in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. Through those imaginations, and they become so strong. Do you ever try to give the word to someone you know to be true and they're just held so strong? Well, the thief comes not but to kill, to still kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. What's that mean? God is for us. His love is for us in Romans 8.31. He's for us in Psalm 56 and verse 9. He is for us. There's no question about that. And so he comes in through these thought, this thought life to cause us to be scattered in our thinking. And what does he do? Who does he scatter? The sheep. Whose sheep are they? Are they his? No. No. No, he scatters the sheep. How does he scatter us? By a thought life in our mind. 
And when they're bad thoughts, they're bad emotions. And that keeps the will from being submitted so that my conscience, I now think, is defiled. In Titus 1 and verse 15, when it is not, it has been cleansed in Hebrews 10, 1 and 2. So that now I live in self-consciousness without God. That's the five parts of the soul that affect the thought life. The mind, the emotions, the will, the conscience, and the self-conscious. And that's why the mind is so very, very fragile. We are very, very fragile. And fellowship is, with him can be so easily interrupted, communion with him. But thank God he's given us a way in 1 John 1, 9. He scatters the sheep. We're going to get into this in, in depth through the days. But he'll do that. We'll do that. We're going to see that. He'll, he does that in a way he affects many, many of us with money. I'm just telling you, he does. And this is, I'm not talking about giving, giving, or, you know, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about in our own personal lives. That's how he can affect us. We have, this will be brought out, I believe, in the coming days, but he scatters us. Now, I'm just going to close with this this morning, to be scattered. Scattered is that Greek word, scorpizuo, scorpizuo. Okay, and this is what it means to dissipate. Or that means this. He puts us to flight with these scattering thoughts. Many voices of him coming against the one voice, the word. All these voices see what's happening to cause us to put us to flight through fear, through worry, so that he wastes us. He brings us to waste and he brings in terror. And we know that what is fear? Fear is what? Brings what? Fear is a phobos. It's a non-reality to a believer in Christ. And with these lies, these non-realities, he wants to what? Cause torment. And what is torment? It's kalesis, to torture us, to punish us with these scattering thoughts. All the while trying to convince us, see, this is God punishing you for this, and he's not. No, God's love disciplines us to take us out of those things. But the enemy comes in, he comes, he comes in and bring, puts us to flight through fear to waste us. And we know that when we don't have energy, we're not experiencing God's love because God's love, the giving of himself is our source of energy. That's why we aren't love, God is. We don't have energy in ourselves. Our energy comes from God and it brings out the purity of the light that Christ is in each of us. And then we can walk in the energy of that love life. And so this is what he does. He causes us and he puts us to root. He roots us, causes us, that puts us to terror. And he strickens us or drives us. He drives the sheep to all these thoughts. And Jesus gently leads us in Isaiah 40 and verse 11. We'll get into that in the future. But he, he drives us by all these other impulses, these feelings, these emotions, trying to tell us we need this thing. Then we can have God. He's such a liar. He's such a liar. And so that we fly, or in other words, we go to in every other direction but, but Christ. Every other direction. But you know what? God has a plan for us. He has a plan for us. And it's beautiful. Has to do with his love. Has to do with it. 
And we're going to see this in great detail, how much God loves us and how he's working in that love that he has for us positionally. He's going to work it into our experience through the light of Jesus Christ, through the scriptures, by the power of the Holy Spirit to give us counsel that causes us to go forward. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we praise you, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.